The time is 7pm. The date is Monday the 19th of April. Your host is James William Fixit. The podcast, well that's flanks as a solo. I obviously did an episode over the weekend for Friday pre some sporting events. Since then some things have transpired. So I thought we need to do an emergency podcast on the one sporting event that really matters. Frankie Lavoie is your first ever PBA Bowling Super Slam champion. Massive congratulations to Mr. Lavoie, who I predicted to make a deep run at the tournament. I mean, there only were five blokes, but winning it strikes me as a deep run. But it, it will beg the question, why did Kyle Troop make that ball change in the final game? Open frame, three out of the first four shots. Two splits? Huh. Miserable. Miserable. I have an announcement. Us at Slightly Satirical Sports Enterprises are officially leaving the European Podcast Association. We are now super slightly satirical sports. Quadruple S. This is the move that the fans have been wanting. Us playing elite competition every week. In other words, I get to fu- I get to fight Jamie off a of Joe Rogan podcast every fourth every fourth week of the month, and I'm gonna do him some serious fucking harm. Football might have died yesterday. It also might have started a productive new chapter, depending on who you ask. I've obviously got some opinions on this, and I will get into them now. Jose Mourinho has had to die to stop this happening. But yesterday, 12 teams came forward with a plan to implement a Super League. Something I've been calling for in football for the better part of a decade. The plan they've put forth is ours. The Super League projection that is currently on the table is dog shit. It's an ass system. It's not going to work. However, the Super League that could be a thing, now that would be mighty, mighty damn fine. Let's get into it. I'm going to try and cover this from every possible perspective. I am pro Super League. Not the current product put forward, but eventually I would like to see a Super League. However, I will briefly go through the objections that have been put forth from the football community. I'm a Manchester United fan. I have a complete horse in the race. I would get to watch my team go from playing at the Vitality Arena to the New Camp every weekend. It's it's a complete pro for me. I understand there are guys out there who support teams that aren't good and don't have a lot of money. And thusly, well, they're going to get left behind. So, guys, you know, real football guys, like Gary Neville, champion of the footballing community, despite financially doping a non-league club to go up seven fucking divisions in seven years. But a real football guy, a real man's man, he's for us. 
despite working for Sky, the most fucking corporate division of British football that actually brought the Premier League into, into existence in the first place and ruined the game commercially, who also tried to charge us £15 to watch Fulham play Brighton this fucking year. How quickly people forget. But no, Gary's an everyman. He's one of the football lovers of the world. He's a, he's a great man, despite being able, due to massive amounts of wealth, to just buy a non-league club with six-year mates and just pump money into it, and thusly having a real problem with the then lack of top-level mobility if there does become a Super League. Because the current proposal is that there's no relegation from the Super League. So all the money he sunk into Salford City becomes null and void. But that's a passion project now. Yeah, it's definitely not because he thinks he can fucking pump his way up the Football League using their massive amount of personal wealth to make them even wealthier when they become a Premier League team and are able to use the TV money and maybe eventually sell them. Fuck me. People look at Gary Neville with rose-tinted glasses. Also, he's part of a team that literally fucking torched the Premier League transfer market for years. I'm a United fan, but I knew fine rightly what was going on. Like, we we were just able to outspend everyone. We had four of the best strikers in England in the same squad at one stage. But, sure, Gary's just, he's just a football purist. Rio Ferdinand's talking about, oh, this is an assault on football. What's gone wrong in the game? This, of course, being the same Rio Ferdinand that cost £30 million as a defender in 2003. This, of course, being the same Rio Ferdinand that loves the game so much that he couldn't actually show up to a scheduled drugs test and had to be banned from the game for a full season. These these are, you know, your real football lovers out there. M- Micah Richards, good guy Micah Richards, great lad. Part of a city team that went from fucking anonymity to being the biggest club on planet Earth over the course of a decade due to just sheer financial doping from a bloke that owns a country. But no, he just cares about football. He just wants the everyman fan to fucking... He just wants football to stay the way it is and the everyman to be able to still keep supporting football the way it is and to keep football rooted as it is. Keep football alive. Football's been dead for 25 years. If you think otherwise, you're a fucking idiot. Football is dust. If you think that the Football League is a thriving ecosystem in which teams have constant prospects of upward mobility and soon they'll be up there with the big boys, you're a fucking idiot. Every club in England that isn't in the top 10 clubs is a feeder club. That is how, this is how the ecosystem works. Same with Germany, same with France, same with Spain. Same with Italy, same with Portugal, same with every domestic league on planet Earth. But people are telling me that no, it's not this new competition that'll actually have an equal playing field amongst the teams in it, that will kill the game. That will ruin the competition of teams like Manchester United, who have an endless budget and an 80,000-seater stadium, having to go play Bournemouth and Norwich next year. 
Like, are you kidding me? You're talking about the fact that this is going to kill football as we know it. Football is dead. The sooner you realise that, the better. Neymar Jr. went for £200 million. Harry Maguire went for £80 million. You think football isn't dead? No, it's the Super League that's going to kill football. A highly interesting competition in which the best teams can actually compete against each other. Instead of just running trains on teams with a quarter or even less of their budgets. You know, it's it's great to see these, these footballing stalwarts come out in support of the football everyman. You know, they had they had these same moral aversions when they brought out that single game pay per view. Oh wait, they didn't. Did they have that did they have that same obligation when Arsenal made their season ticket prices two grand? Even though they're awful and weren't qualified for Champions League football. Oh, they they didn't. What about when Spurs made theirs one point nine grand? What about when fucking West Ham Club of the Everyman made their season ticket nine hundred pounds and moved into the Olympic Stadium, completely diminishing all the history and atmosphere of their club? Did these footballing stalwarts stand in then? No, they stood fucking idly by because they had nothing to lose. Sky, BT, all the pundits, especially Neville, haven't a fucking leg to stand on. They are as greedy and self-fucking motivated as any individual chairman that has signed up to the Super League. They are all fucking scum. So, yes, you can have... You can have an aversion to wanting a Super League. But you better just be an everyday fucking fan of a club. If you're an Aston Villa fan, you don't want the Super League. Fair fucks you. Completely understand your point. Everton fan, same thing. Any club in Europe, I completely get it. But if you're an ex-player who has a vested interest in the fucking existence of a media corporation, then you shut your fucking mouth and leave it to the people that actually pay your fucking wages. You shut the fuck up on this topic. I'm pro Super League. If it's done properly. The current model isn't proper. I want an elite competition. To replace the vast fucking gap we have. In current domestic league play. I do not want a system where teams can't get relegated. So essentially can just fucking rest in their laurels for the rest of time that's not how football should work but to have these fucking frauds come out and slating it and even fucking worse than the ex-players to have FIFA and UEFA coming out acting holier than thou given they're fucking financing a world cup off slave labour and have taken more bribes than your local fucking jockey they can fuck up too it's an absolute disgrace that these people are coming out as the fucking good guys in this operation. Fucking joke. Oh, the overwhelming media narrative towards the Super League is negative. It's almost as if the people that run that media have a huge interest in maintaining their stranglehold over British football. 
And if you were really that worried about keeping these fucking already existing super teams, why wouldn't you put proper fucking constraints on them then, you useless cunts? Because you are so half-arsed in every fucking approach you take to anything that you will never get anything done. Oh, every, everyone gets the same in TV money. That's great. Man City's owner still owns a country. But, you know, Norch are going to come up next year and get 60 million, which will buy them maybe a third of Jack Grealish. Honestly, the fucking narratives around this are an absolute joke. I completely get. If you're a guy that goes to non-league football every week, and you don't support one of the top six. You're just your average bloke that goes to the football, goes to the pub for a few pints. You know you want to see football stay that way. Fair, fair play to you, but I hate to tell you, mate, it's already gone. Football, as you know it, is dying, and it's dying a hell of a lot quicker than anyone could have possibly perceived. The pandemic is going to expedite this process. Faster than you're going to ever be able to imagine. Teams are going to come back and be fucked. Because people are going to be very, very cautious about going to games. There's going to be partial stadium allowances. And teams just simply aren't going to survive. So, guess what? This whole notion that the Super League is going to make the big teams impossible to catch up with. Nobody's ever going to be able to compete with these super teams. They can't do it now. There is no difference. Accrington Stanley are not going to be in the Champions League in 10, 15 years. I hate to fucking break it to you. The only way to bridge the gap in modern football is with a massive financial injection. Teams aren't going to get that. No team... Actually, never mind team... No business, man. Because football is a fucking business. People need to stop thinking that this is a game that is played in the local parks and it isn't literally the biggest fucking ticket to world domination in a sporting sense. Because, guess what? It's the most viewed sport on the planet Earth. Do you know what would bring in more viewers? A centralised league where all the best teams play on a week-to-week basis. Do you know what would probably absolutely annihilate the Asian market? A centralised league where all the best teams play on a week-to-week basis. The proposal to put it in place instead of the Champions League is farcical. Because although I hate the new proposal, the Champions League is the one fucking competition currently where we are able to see the best go up against the best. But what an actual real-life Super League would do would be remove the luck of the Champions League. Which has been a lottery for years. Obviously. Great teams win the Champions League. But the format of the Champions League is such. That a bad team can win the Champions League. There's an alternate reality. Where Manchester United had to win one game. In 2011. To the throne arguably the greatest club side of all time. And their run to that final, well, highly fortuitous to say the fucking least. Our semi-final opponents 
were Schalke, which was literally Manuel Neuer. That's it. So we have an opportunity to build a league that actually shows us who the best team in Europe are every year. Why is that a bad thing? I get domestic history, all the rest of it. The Premier League's 30 years old. Oh, we could always, we can always rely on oldest domestic competition, the FA Cup. The FA Cup's a crock of shit. I have a weird perspective on this. Cause over the years I've gradually become as much of an American sports viewer as a European one. And from the American perspective, knowing that all of the best players in a sport play in the same league is actually quite cool. It's good to know, you know, all of the best players play in the same league. Yes, there'll always be debates. There'll always be that one crafty power forward for Real Madrid in the Euro League that people are like, maybe this guy could be a real NBA guy. But the real top talent is in the same league. Currently, the top 10 players in the world in world football are split over four different domestic leagues and play each other exclusively in knockout format. How is that, how is that in any way fair? Lionel Messi's stats look a hell of a lot better given he played in fucking La Liga his whole career. Like, don't give me, this isn't, this isn't a messy argument. I, I understand Lionel Messi's the second best footballer, or the best, depending on who you ask, footballer of all time. But, how are his stats compared to someone that played in a different league for their whole career? You're never going to be able to compare the two. How good is Kylian Mbappe? given he plays in a relatively soft French league. Will Erling Haaland be able to play in a less physical, more on-the-ball league? We won't know. Do you know why we would know which players are really the best? If they had to play constantly revolving good opposition, week to week, in, you guessed it, a Super League. I obviously, I get that it's it's killing the history of clubs and inverted commas and all the rest of it. I mean, my club is currently owned by an American conglomerate. I don't know which Glazer is currently the nominal leader of Manchester United. All I know is that I am very well assured in the fact that the guy shags cats. Cronky that owns Arsenal has three other sports teams to worry about. And you're talking about the history of the club. Their season tickets cost two grand. Modern football won 18 fucking years ago. If not more. Modern football has been fucking throttling the love of the game for decades. And people are only taking the establishment of a new competition that, oh, this is an attack on the football we know and love. The football you know and love is fucking dust. It is put to rest. As soon as you see that new player for for a Villa or an Everton breakout, and you know 
Which one of United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal or Spurs is he going to this summer? That's when you know football's already gone. They're feeder clubs. Every club in England, not in the top 10, is a feeder club. Yes, some of them will outperform expectations. The Leicesters of the world will win a Premier League, for God's sake. What happened to the team? It got picked apart for fucking parts. They were a feeder club. They went right back to normality after the greatest Cinderella story in league history. Yes, they're performing above expectations, performing well above their pay grade. But the season they won the fucking league title, their best players were stripped. There is no such thing as the beautiful game anymore. It's already a franchising system. So why not make it a fair fucking game and put the franchises against other franchises? Put your city who are owned by a country against the Real Madrid who are propped up by an actual government. They're Fortune 500 companies and people are expecting to share their TV profits with fucking Bournemouth and Norwich. Of course they're going to be greedy. It is their it is their priority to make more money with their team. Why would you think that these people have just purely pragmatic notions and are going to buy clubs just to run them as football clubs, just because they're they just want to win? They want to make fucking money. So businesses work. Fucking grow up. So what you could do is have a fucking truly elite competition. Whereby the best team in the world would have vast commercial success. The owners will go for that. They'll spend money through the arse. They'll get all the best players. And we'll be able to see some truly astonishing football. All the best players will be in the same league. We'll be able to see all of the rivalries. All of the great rivalries in the same league. But instead of, you know, your average fan... For their season ticket getting four games worth watching. And then essentially a fucking lucky dip of which side of the Premier League middle class are going to show up today. One week you'll show up against a Burnley who are on fire. The other week you'll show up against a Burnley that are boring beyond belief. Or that same season ticket could be used to watch the Galacticos roll into town. And the next week, you get to watch the local derby against Man City. You get to watch us play Liverpool. What's not to like about that as a fan of a top six club? I I honestly don't know. Friend of the show, Liam O'Connor, sent in, you know, what team will you be supporting now that the Glazers have finally killed Manchester United Football Club? Guess what? I'll be supporting Manchester United Football Club. If we named the chairman Prime Adolf Hitler next week, I'd still support United. I don't care. The club has done far worse. They spent £80 million on Harry Maguire. I stood by them. They let Paul Pogba walk to play Raphael in midfield against Blackburn, only to buy him back two seasons later for £80 million. And I stood by them then. 
You think I'm not going to stand by them when they go into the, the most lucrative, greatest football competition ever assembled? I get. Honestly, I really do. I know I do, because I've said it 90 times, that there are great teams that haven't been invited to the Super League. And honestly, that won't work. Because the reason why I like the centrality of the NBA and of the NFL is that there's no real doubt as to who the best team on the planet is. But if you start a Super League but leave Bayern Munich on the sidelines, then there's always going to be a doubt. It can never be the best team in Europe when Bayern Munich are still out there. Also, if it is the case that Super League teams are banned from Europe, it'll be highly ironic, given you allowed Man City to break financial fair play rules about eight or nine times. They were never banned from Europe. But, of course, joining a Super League to try and actually govern world football when the bodies of power that are currently there are making a complete fucking mess of it. Sure, ban them for that. Don't ban them for the rules that you implemented. Ban them for trying to get away from your rules and your utter shithousery in managing world football. But if City and United are kicked out of Europe, I do stand to lose two grand. Uh, so I will be, I will be utterly furious, if I'm honest. But, you know, I'll get over it. If the Super League could run in conjunction with the Champions League, if the Champions League ran alongside a domestic Super League every year, I don't see what the issue would be. If you had relegation, if you had all of the best teams in Europe, not just the 12 aforementioned clubs, some of which have been vastly underperforming recently, including my own, but you need to have everything in place. You need to have a proper relegation system so that the founding clubs can't just rest on their laurels knowing they're always a Super League team. You need to have a guarantee of all of Europe's best clubs. So you've got to get Bayern and Dortmund on board. Just no excuses. You have to get those two on board. You have to get PSG on board. I don't see how you can currently I don't see how this 12-team plan is anything more than just a bargaining chip to reallocate TV money and just give the big 12 clubs that are currently mentioned more of what they want, which will be more of a say in the new Champions League format, which is absolutely arse, by the way, and isn't a million miles away from the Super League. But just no one's talking about it because it's under the guise of, oh, UEFA are doing it. They must have our best interest at heart as football fans. Hmm. Oh wait, they failed in their own kick race amount of football directive to get rid of Slavia Prague players who racially abused Kai Kamara. They failed to accurately implement their financial play rules on innumerable occasions. So why do people suddenly think, oh, breaking away from UEFA and FIFA, that's just disgraceful. It's just, it's a disgrace to the game. Also, to the Nevilles and the Ferdinands and the Carragers and the Richards and all of the BT pundits of the world 
Sincerely from every football fan on the planet, suck my nards. Because people can have differing opinions on what the Super League should be. But if anyone out there thinks that Gary Neville is an honest voice for the average football fan, you fucking lost it. You don't get it. He is self-motivated, self-interested, self-indulgent, and frankly, selfish. He's a fucking little rat ball bag that maybe, if he was fucking three inches taller, could have been a centre-back and would have made something of himself. He has nothing but his own interest at heart. His job is at stake. His investment is at stake. He cannot be neutral on this topic. But, if you're anti-Super League, that's fine. I imagine you support a club that's not in the top six and you feel you deserve the best chance you can of challenging for leagues and other big competitions. But bear in mind, the next time a Man City or a United comes and takes one of your players and you have to replace them for pennies in the pound, you just remember that's current football. It's not a system whereby players come through at a club and they'll stay at that club forever and they'll they'll drag that club to new heights on their back from the academy up. No, they'll show promise as a 16-year-old and come and be used up by one of the various football factories currently existing in your nation. Whether you live in France, Spain, Italy, Portugal, England, Germany, it applies everywhere. Modern football is so alive and well, it's unbelievable. Modern football has taken a dump on the beautiful game for 20 years. Roman Abramovich is one of the world's richest men, was allowed to waltz into the Premier League, build a super team, and become an institution. He bought Chelsea in 2004, I want to say. They now have the most Champions League semi-final appearances of any English club. They bought history. So don't tell me the game's gone. The game's been gone. All I'm asking is that with the modern commercial powerhouse that is world football, we actually get an entertaining product out of it. Because by fuck, if the world is going to be so commercially driven by football, and there's going to be that much money in football, surely there is no reason for us ever to watch a Fulham Brighton on a Monday night ever again. As much as, oh, some of the teams have come up and been fun. Yes, and that's great. But the bulk of the teams come up and put ten men behind the ball because they are terrified that the more goals they concede, the more likely they are 
of being banished back down to the championship and losing that glorious TV revenue. And I'm not saying that won't that won't be the case in the Super League. I imagine it'll be even there'll be even more cagey affairs. I'm saying it'll be a hell of a lot better to watch teams that are actually evenly balanced do it though. We've seen some of the best football in terms of individual matches in Champions League history over the last few years. Namely, the City Spurs. It was a semi-final? Yeah. No. It was a quarter-final. It was a great tie. We've seen so many great fixtures. Real Madrid versus Bayern. Every time is always a great game. Imagine being able to see that on a week-to-week basis. Imagine paying £2,000 for a season ticket and being able to see Barcelona and Real Madrid and Inter and AC rolling the town instead of Sheffield United, West Brom. That seems like a favourable alternative to me. I get I'm biased, I'm a top six fan. I only really stand to benefit from my club getting to play against the best teams in the world every week. I get if you don't support a top six team, it's a kick in the balls, no two ways about it. But from a macro perspective, I'd say if you got all of the top European teams, you'd have the bulk of football viewership in a 20-odd team league. Like, yes, you know, you worry about the West Ham's of the world. They have such a great history. I mean, their best player is on loan from a football factory. And they'll spend less than 50 million this summer. It would take a 500 million plus investment to make them actually relevant on a season-to-season basis in the Premier League. And if they got that investment, guess where they could go? They could go to the Super League. They could be promoted up into it. As any team could be. And as any team could be relegated from the Super League. People talking about how Arsenal and Spurs are really underperforming to be considered Super League teams. Well, yes. They have a great mix, though, of Elite facilities, elite history, great players, and massive financial wealth. So, hate to say it, they're going to be one of the teams on your super team list. In the same way, AC Milan and Inter have underperformed for years. They currently reside in one of Europe's most iconic stadiums. They have a rivalry that will last the test of time. And they have massive amounts of history on their side. Plus, both of them have won European Cups in the last 20 years. So, let's not write them off completely. As for Man City and Chelsea, why are they in there over a club like Villa, who have more European success? Well, simply put, about £3 And net spend. Is why. 
Simple as. It's the same reason why Villa aren't in a league title race with those teams. History doesn't get you anything. Do you know what does in modern football? Money. All the teams in the Super League have plenty of it. It would lead to elite competition. It would lead to probably a vastly better football product with centralised rules so we wouldn't have the constant VAR controversies that have plagued the Premier League all season. We wouldn't have ridiculous bias in the media. Also, there's not a guarantee that Sky or BT win the rights. All it takes is, what if the Super League happens and DAZN come out and win the rights to it? And it becomes a vastly more affordable product as well as that. It essentially becomes like an NBA Game Pass or an NFL Game Pass, which are vastly better than the European products offered. Would offer you all the best teams in the world in the same place for a fraction of the cost. However, nobody will nobody will say this opinion because the only place you're hearing this is on channels for people who have something to lose. Simple as. I think the current product, the 12-team Super League, it can't run. So I would, I would be against the format currently being offered up. But if an actual Super League is to be made, I will be emphatically for it. Now, let's get off what was a 38-minute topic on the Super League and get into Jake Paul, baby, the problem child. I told you. But Ben Askren's got a really good chin. But Ben Askren's, he's a fighter. He's got, he's got wrestling cardio. He had to retire from the sport he was good at. Due to a hip injury, he was never going to show up and be in a great physical shape. He showed up to Lewins, as I said, looking like my dad going to try and get the swim loungers from the German family in 2008. And he got starched. Was it a fix? No. Was it an early stop? It was an early stoppage, absolutely. But was it a fix? I don't think you can fake a stiffening jab like that. God, that jab was stiffening. It really, it really fucking stiffened him up and then teed him up for the right hand over the top. A truly great combination to win. The card in general was one of the worst things I've ever partaken in. I'd like to shout out my podcast co-host, David McCann, who I believe is still hungover from Saturday, for buying the card by adding it to his next phone bill. I'm sure he'll enjoy that. And then running out before the actual main event. And before Bieber as well. But yes, essentially, the card was a concert for TikTok people. With a few fights thrown in the middle of it. I know Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio have a lot of social media clout. But in the words of Kanye West. What the fuck do they know about cameras? And by cameras I mean. Semi-amateur boxing events. 
it was a very, very strange scene, seeing Charlie and Dixie fumble a belt round Navy Seal Steve Cunningham, who, in case you forget, fought Tyson Fury on Channel 5 a few years back. Before, Tyson Fury was one of the more insufferable people on planet Earth. But, the card in general is ass. I mean, Regis Progress's opponent is one of the more embarrassing people to ever grace planet Earth. Getting hit in essentially the upper hip and claiming a low blow and being stretchered out of the facility was interesting. I certainly didn't enjoy it. Uh, as for as for Doja Cat, she's not a great live performer. I'll be the I'll be the first to say it. Now, will that stop me watching very good looking women make TikToks to her songs? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the first to say it probably won't. It'll make no difference to me in that regard. But by fuck, she was awful live. She was absolutely shit. Bieber, you know, for a man that produced the greatest album of all time less than two weeks ago, I, w- I wasn't, I wasn't massively impressed. His vocal was great. That kid's got a lot of talent, but you know he he wasn't. See if he had it on Ghost, I would have punched through every single window of Dave McCann's conservator. But he didn't, so you know I had to just take it easy for that slow version of Peaches, which was lovely, I must say. But in terms of what's next for Jake. The sky's the limit, baby. The problem child just keeps fucking dominating. Dylan Dennis is next, I believe. Jake is going to literally KO him in... I wouldn't be surprised if he was knocked out on the ring walk. That's how bad Dylan Dennis is. Ben Askren at least has a chin of renown, in inverted commas, and... Freddie Roach was talking about that deceptive power beforehand. Aye, Freddie. That's a, that's a great statement from you, given I've seen him take 70 punches to finish a downed Suzuki in his first fight with one championship. I know what you're thinking. Of course. He now has a lot of sports knowledge. I know. It's an unfortunate consequence of watching a lot of sports. But yeah, I, I, I did fully expect Jake Paul to beat him. But I didn't expect it to be that emphatic, if I'm honest. Obviously, the ref did stop it early. And Ben Askren looked happy after the fight. Wowee! I'm going to come out of a fight beside my gorgeous wife where I just made 500 grand a fight during a Justin Bieber concert. I'm going to look so upset because I lost to a YouTuber even though two years prior... I got hit with the most embarrassing knockout in UFC history and it gets played 18 times a week under everything I tweet. The floor was there for Ben Askren. He was already there. It couldn't get any worse for the guy. He lost to Jake Paul, so fuck. He doesn't box. Now getting kneed in the head by a Cuban man who calls himself Street Jesus that's probably a bit more embarrassing. So I, I imagine that's why Ben Ashburn looked happy. Because he made 500 grand to get tossed out 25 seconds. 
Will Jake Paul fight McGregor? If McGregor loses to Poirier, all bets are off. Because, yes, the Diaz fight's still there, because I think Diaz will lose to Leon Edwards. McGregor will lose to Poirier. But that's really the only fight you can make, is those two again. Because let's face it, if he loses to Poirier twice, there's no fucking way Khabib's going to come out of retirement just to fight him in a random lightweight bout to give McGregor a chance at redemption. Like, that's not going to happen. Also, the selling car surely has to lose a little bit because he's not the personality he once was. Yes, he's gone, a, he's gone off it a bit on Twitter the last few weeks. He's gone a bit mental. But he's not the McGregor that was drawing the numbers of the Aldo Prester. Like, the sailing ability has to stop eventually. And I think at the current rate of how he's losing fights, I imagine it's going to be pretty soon. So could it be McGregor's second pro boxing fight is against the problem child? Will he ever fight KSI? That I don't know. I think he's probably going to get ridiculed if he fights KSI because he should really be going on to fight an actual boxer by now. But then you look at you look at pro boxers' records and the cans they fight on the way up. And just because Ben Askren hasn't fought in a boxing fight doesn't mean he wouldn't beat the fucking Ukrainian journeyman who's 10 and 150 fighting the unranked guys on most cards. So I think it's just standard boxing promotion is that you don't want a chance to lose early because you can't promote as well. Like Logan has got the Floyd Mayweather fight. But if he loses that, which some people are saying he might, I'm personally on the fence. But some people are saying he might lose to a boxer who is currently 50-0. and 0. As I said, we'll have to wait and see how time goes on that one. But if he loses, he'll be 0-3. How can you really book a fight and sell a fight when you're 0-3? Well, sorry. He's 0-1-1 currently, so he'll be 0-1-2. So he'd never have won a fight. Maybe he'd go into MMA then. That's potentially the route, the route he could take to promote fighting still. But for Jake, he's three and zero. It's becoming a re- it's becoming a real mainstream thing. Like Jake Paul fights are becoming a real mainstream thing. It did one point three million pay per view buys. Like Ben Askren was not a big name. Not a massive UFC draw, but Jake Paul just sold 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. As the lead on the card as well, like with with the Tyson Jones one, Mike Tyson's on the card. You're never going to get a lot of credit for selling pay-per-views on that. But Jake Paul had points. Like people know how valuable Jake Paul is from a pay-per-view standpoint if they're giving the kid points on a Mike Tyson card. So, Jake Paul, I was right. Great to see. We'll see what happens in the future with him. Now, to get into the second friend of the show topic, on the topic of Jake Paul beating 
Ben Askew, as Michael Buffer called him. Friend of the show, Liam O'Connor, has said, a football 11, I could take in a fight. I recently watched the movie Heat, starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, a 1995 detective heist thriller. I now have a goatee and a Robert De Niro slick back haircut. There's not a man in the world I think I couldn't beat in a fight at the minute. But my football 11, that I think I could beat in a fight, in nets. Sorry, just to, to preface it, we're playing a 4-2-2-2. Seems like a very aggressive formation. Sort of thing that you'd want to get in a tussle with. In Nets, for obvious reasons, we've got Petr Cech. You know, you want to you want to start out your career easy. Uh, so, beating a guy who had a significant head injury seems like the way to do it. Yes, he would be able to wear a head guard. Because he's actually not... I don't think he's allowed out of the house without one. But I still think I'm taking his head off. Worse than Simon Hunt ever did. But the goalkeeper is Petr Cech. For his recent antics, the right back is Gary Neville. I would love to beat that guy's fucking shit in. That guy is a clown. Uh, i just love to spark him clean out. On the AstroTurf at the top of hotel football. In a cage. I'd only hit him with shins to the head. Plus he's not quite tall enough to be a centre-back. So I will have a height and reach advantage. Left centre-back. Actually this would be the right centre-back. I'm looking at it upside down I suppose. Rio Ferdinand for obvious reasons. Potentially my least favourite United player of all time. Apart from one other who's coming up later. Rio Ferdinand stopped going up for corners in 2006. Was one of the most pussy old players of all time. Refused to compete in any sort of physical matchup with a big striker. Always left the Manjavidic to contend with it. But gets renowned as being the Rolls Royce of defenders. So... Rio Ferdinand. Um, plus he had that trading. Although, well, well, the Boxing Commission sanctioned him for this fight, given, you know, he did all that training for his, for his bet for a fucking boxing match, and it got canned. Well, Rio, there's no commission this time. It's me and you, and one right hook at the back of the Asda, and you're going, click, puck, goodbye. My left centre-back is Gareth Southgate. If he thinks the barrage of verbal abuse he got after missing that penalty was bad, imagine the barrage of sharp elbows he's going to receive from top mount from me in the Kesselkirch shopping mall. Just going to be me raining down one really sharp elbow from top mount and just breaking him internally. And instead of a belt, I want a golden waistcoat so I can piss on in front of his whole family. Left back. A bit like Czech. I'm just piling on the abuse with this guy. It's going to be Wayne Bridge. The fight would be instigated, of course, by me uh, making sweet, sweet love to uh, Frankie Bridge of the Saturdays fame. 
lift it, lift it higher. I'm a bloody right. I would do. And then I cave her husband's head in uh, with a knee straight out of hell. Like I'm talking pride rules, soccer kick in the head, knee to the downed opponent, and then just like shimmy around the ring and then just go back and stamp on him. The first CDM is the one I want most. If I had to fight any fighter in the world, or any footballer, athlete, maybe even bloke on the planet, it would be Steven Gerrard. Yeah, of course, it would be, Steve. I would love to break your orbital bone in a horrible manner. It would I'd, it'd be a stiff jab don't worry it'd be a stiff jab Stevie G so you wouldn't feel it when I hit you with a haymaker thrown from 8 weeks away I would wind up I would start winding up for it in Aldergrove fly over to Liverpool and unleash it as soon as I stiffen you up with the, with the left jab and I swore you will be slipping and sliding around the slip and slide boxing match because I feel like that would be the best way to do this. I'd give you an advantage due to your propensity for not being able to stay on your feet. So that would be your, your advantage, which would make it even more impressive when I flatline you. Second CDM, not a lot of reason to it. I just really fancied knocking the, knocking the absolute piss and shit out of Sergio Busquets. He's always looked very smug to me, given most of his career attributes. Or just laying a ball off down dress any early and El Messi. So, you know, I'd quite like to take some of that arrogance that he's acquired over the years and ruin it by hitting him exclusively with toe stamps until he is forced to forfeit. First first cab, Gianfranco Zola. You know, I've gone through a few tough opponents there. You know, Ferdinand, Busquets, Southgate, Gerard, they're all they're all reasonably big men. So I just like an easy fight where I just strangle Gianfranco Zola for forty five to fifty minutes. Do I have the cardio for that? No. Does he have any chance? Still no. I can only imagine the issue would be that if my elbow was the was to stay locked that long in a choke position, might get a wee bit stiff. So that might be my only issue. We might have to make that a three-rounder. The other attacking mid, if he can if he can be arsed to show up on the day, if he isn't boozed or gambling somewhere, will be Paul Merson. Now, I'm not talking about current lovable presenter Paul Merson. I want degenerate gambling alcoholic Paul Merson. I want to literally I want to walk into the pub I want him to see me and go you fall off the stool I run over and just grind and pound the shit out of him it's not even a fair fight he was already massively boozed to begin with I just went in and kicked the absolute balls out of him just for the sake of it that's what I want with Paul Merson but he has to be in his prime not only because he won't remember it the next day, 
but because I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do an old man who has become a much more likable figure and turned his life around. It has to be a degenerate. Up front, I'm taking these two as a duo because I've got so much hate in my heart for both of them that I'd hate to think I gave one of them an uneven side of things. Like one of them got off slightly easier than the other one. So, the front two are Carlos Tevez and Luis Suarez. And, yes, there are two of them, but the qualifier for this one is that I get to use a hammer. So, yes, there are two of them, and one of them has a brick, but I get to use a hammer. And I'm going to leave a... There will be... Those two men will become mist. They will be a red mist by the end of it. That is how much hatred I have for those two. Carlos Tevez, for obvious reasons, of departing Manchester United for Manchester City and holding up an R.I.P. Fergie sign. I would, oh, he would be, he would be a mess. A mess on the floor. And Luis Suarez for being a degenerate, racist, cannibalistic asshole for his entire fucking career. And no one really called him out for it in the last five years. He's just got to go off to Spain. Be racist and happy and cannibalistic in complete silence. I'll change that by making him a mush. The team will be managed by Joey Barton. He can bring the cigar he used to stub out in Asamin Dabo's eye. But I will get to set him on fire at the end of it. That is the rule. He can bring a cigar so he can stub me as many times as he wants and I'll be all, ah, you bastard. But I do get to set him on fire at the end of it. That is the deal. I imagine he'll agree to that. He's a bit of a crazy horse. But if he shows up to any of our press conferences on the World Tour and does that daft French accent, all holds are barred. I'm, I'm just taking a flamethrower to him. That was really therapeutic. I feel like I've had a bit of a ragey episode this week. It could be said. We're also hovering around the longest episode of Flying Sister Solo. Potentially ever. And we've still got one more friend of the show to have it. And that's from my old pal Cedar, Who was blissfully wrong on the Ben Askren take. He thought Askren had it. I don't think... I think he knew in his heart of hearts Askren didn't have it. I'll give him that credit. But he really wanted Askren to have it. And let yourself hope. That's part of the problem. So, his topic is successful athletes with non-aesthetic physiques. I love this topic. I actually wish I'd saved it for another episode where I wasn't already so so previously ragey so I could just lament on lovable fat guys who end up just really going in and fucking up their sport. Obviously, the man they call Fat Frank who is, in my perception, the greatest English Premier League centre mid of all time. The bloke at one stage was morbidly obese and would still score you 20 goals from midfield. Just crazy good. 
in the same with Wayne Rooney that season after he was pictured in the Speedo shorts with the lollipop. He was probably fat that year. By fuck was he still a beautiful player. In the combat sports world, you got to give a shout out to Andy Ruiz, who took down the chiseled Adonis of Anthony Joshua, while it's looking like he might appear on the front of a salsa bottle. That's just what Andy Ruiz is about. The guy's insane cardio, smothering pressure. People have convinced themselves he's not a very good fighter. He is. He's a great fighter that I think will have a lot of success in that heavyweight division. It's a weird time to be a heavyweight because I feel like in any other era, Ruiz probably could have just held a belt off somewhere for 15 years without actually having to fight anyone of merit. I, like, I don't know Deontay Wilder. Who Ruiz would absolutely starch, by the way. You've also, depending on how you class your athletics and your sports, you got to give a shout out to every darts player ever. With the exception of James Wade, who's rather trim. And Gerwin Price, of course, who's built like a brick shithouse. I wouldn't want to fight Gerwin Price. He seems like an angry wee man. But, you know, you've got Phil Taylor. Adrian Lewis, Michael Van Gerwen, all tubby bastards, but just masterful at their craft. Mostly because it is a craft that involves drinking about 18 pints of lager in your local pub to really perfect it. And potentially that's part of the weight gain, is all the liquid calories. But by fuck do they carry it well. Philip is a handsome man. He could be anywhere from 5'9 to a legal dwarf. I wouldn't know the difference. I feel like he might be five foot one. But by fuck, does he carry it well? He's a handsome lad. Anytime he wore a shirt with a par on the back, you kind of knew it was wraps. Him and Raymond Van Barneveld had some legendary games back in the day. Back when darts was good. If it ever was. But finally, my favourite successful athlete with a non-aesthetic physique is Daniel D.C. Cormier. The man appeared in a Popeye's chicken ad whilst UFC light heavyweight champion. The man beat Rumble Johnson who looked like he was assembled in a lab of really smart strongmen. Like if Lou Ferrigno had a PhD in genetics he would make Anthony Rumble Johnson. And Daniel D.C. Cormier, who probably had to cheat at the weigh-in to make weight because he was a bit of a, a bit of a tubby bloke and had to use the towel on multiple occasions. He just out-wrestled him. He had better cardio than nearly everyone in the division. As a fairly overweight man. He used to run, he used to run his walkout. Because that's how good his cardio was. Also, he fought until he was like 40. He picked up Stipe Miocic over his head and held him there for a good 20 odd seconds just to slam him. And he did all of this whilst having the body of Steve Harvey. It was incredible. I don't think we'll ever see a fighter look like Daniel Cormier have the success of him ever again. Just the wrestling dominance. The lo- 
He was so lovable as well. Like, he really he really epitomizes the jolly fat guy. He's such a good dude. I have a lot of love for him. John Jones cheated him twice. And also made for a really sad scene in the behind the scenes where DC was told that he'd failed a drugs test again. DC in the red Aramax is like just proper torn up in a locker room. It was really hard to watch. But that is why Daniel Cormier is my favourite non-aesthetic athlete of all time. And I imagine he'll always stay that way. Well, folks, thank you for your time. It has been at least an hour of it. I will have to cut some of the Super League round. But football is about to change forever. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worst. The one thing you can guarantee is that it will be covered in great style by your host, James William Fix, over here at Flying Scissors Solo. Good night.